0: Well, this past Friday, we were again reminded that this world is not a rosy place and that all people don't have good intentions. Humans are not just uneducated or maladjusted or immature. No, there is an evil in this world. If evil doesn't exist, why? what makes a madman storm into an elementary school and gun down innocent children? You know, the Bible teaches us that there isn't evil. In fact, the world is full of bad guys. Cain murdered his brother Abel. The Egyptian Pharaoh threw the Hebrew babies to the crocodiles. King Herod goes down in infamy for the slaughtering of the toddlers in Bethlehem. Hey, this past Friday wasn't the first time evil launched an attack on innocence. Speaking of evil assaulting innocence, can you think of a more lethal example than that of Pilate? As Roman governor, he sentenced God's only son, his pure and sinless, spotless son, to a torture and a death he didn't deserve. Or what about that betrayer and that backstabber named Judas? Oh, he too deserves to be punched in the kisser. You know, we've been learning here in Revelation that Jesus is the king of the jungle. And it's a good thing, for the jungle that we live in today needs a king. This world is out of control. Wild animals are on the loose. Evil people prey on the innocent of society. They despise God's order, and they fail to acknowledge God's image in their fellow man. Thus, people who should be family end up predators. They stalk, and then strike, and then devour other people. And this is what we find in this section of Revelation. In chapters 12 and 13, wild beasts and dragons are on the prowl. These chapters provide not only a description of end-time events, but they give us an expose on the very nature of evil. You see, our society is appalled when evil strikes out at innocence and fellow human beings are molested or abused or manipulated or even annihilated. But what lies under the surface of an evil that denies God's love? An evil that fails to recognize God's image in His fellow man. An evil that fails to respect God's creation and God's authority over what He created. You see, real evil. Refuses to see the value that God has placed on human life. Especially the price that Jesus paid to redeem you and me. Thus, at its core, all evil is anti-God and anti-Christ. And according to Revelation chapter 13, the evil that raised its ugly head this past week in a school in Connecticut, the same evil that we'll see again and again as long as men resist God, will one day reach a climax and be embodied in a world leader who shows the same penchant for violence and the same lust for power. Revelation chapter 13 is about the future personification of evil, the ultimate bad guy, this man we call the Antichrist. Now whenever this topic comes up, the first thought is, who is he? Who is the Antichrist? We want to identify this evil villain. And so we'll just do that right now. We'll just kind of get it out of the way right up front. Before we even start, let's drop down to the last verse in the last sentence. His number is 666. We're told that we can identify this man by the number of his name. Now, since the Hebrew, Greek, and Latin letters also carry numerical values, here's what we can do. We can add up some letters, and we can calculate mathematically the identity of the Antichrist. In fact, I did this this week. I've already done this for you. Let's start with this Latin inscription, CV, VL, Now, in Latin, these letters all have numerical values. You remember your Roman numerals, don't you? C equals 100. V is 5. L is 50. D is 500. I is 1. Now add up the total for CV, VL, DIV. Here's what you get. 100 plus 5 plus 5 plus 50 plus 500 plus 1 plus 5 equals 666. The number 666 is the mark of the beast. So, here's the Antichrist. Just spell out C-V-V-L-D-I-V in Latin. Well, these are the Roman numerals in the words, Vete Verpo Dinosarve. Of course, in Latin, you have to change the U's to V's, so you reverse this back into English, and it reads, Cute Purple Dinosaur proving once and for all, proving conclusively that Barney the dinosaur is the Antichrist. There you go. And you're thinking, where in the world did you come up with such silly nonsense? And I'll answer that. The same place a lot of preachers have come up with their foolish, silly theories trying to nail down the identity of the Antichrist. I mean, folks have advanced all sorts of foolish conjectures. Everyone from Nero to Hitler to Kennedy to Kissinger to Gorbachev. Oh, Gorbachev, you know, he had that spot right here on his forehead. That that made him a, a very suspicious candidate. To Clinton, to Tony Blair, to Obama. In fact, you can try hard enough, and I'm sure that you can figure out a way to make everybody's name add up to 666. It's strange how people freak out about that number. You know, I ran across this this past week. If, if 666 is the number of the beast, that means that 1666 is the area code of the beast. That 00666 is the zip code of the beast. That 666666666 is the beast's social security number. That 66K is his retirement plan. That 1 900 666 0666 dials up live online beasts for you to chat. Only $6.66 a minute. That 1 800 666 0666 is the beast toll free hotline. That Phillips 666 is the preferred gasoline of the beast. That Route 666 is the highway of the beast. That 666 degrees Fahrenheit is the oven temperature for roast beast. And that 66I is the BMW driven by the beast. Well, it's true. The Antichrist, or the beast, as the Revelation 13 calls him, is the pinnacle of evil. And somehow he'll use 666 as his number. But you'd be surprised what this chapter really teaches about this man. How it describes him. This is not some Freddy Krueger type character. He doesn't fit a school sniper's profile. Rather, his approach is subtle. Even helpful at first. You see, the epitome of evil comes as evil cloaked in peaceful ambitions. Unlike the shooter that... Walked into the school this week wearing black military garb. The beast is evil in disguise. He appears as a great leader. He has answers to the world's perplexing questions. But in his heart of hearts, he is antichrist as all evil is. And eventually he turns beast-like in his lust for violence and dominance. You see, Revelation 13 doesn't just expose a character of the end times. Its usefulness is far greater. It helps us understand the very nature of evil in our world today. And in light of this past week, that would be helpful. Well, chapter 13 begins. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. Now, throughout the Bible, the sea is symbolic of a vast ocean of people adrift, We still use this idiom in English when we speak of the sea of humanity. Here John sees a global leader rising onto the world's political stage. In popular culture, this diabolical leader is most often referred to as the Antichrist. But throughout the pages of Scripture, this man, he has a whole host of other names that are given to him. Here's a list. Adversary, Assyrian, Belial, bloody and deceitful man, branch of the terrible ones, crooked servant, cruel one, destroyer of the Gentiles, evil man, little horn, man of the earth, proud man, spoiler, destroyer, extortioner, vile person, violent man, wicked one, willful king, lawless one, man of sin, one who comes in his own name, son of perdition, the seed of the serpent, Unclean spirit, just to name a few. Here is a person so evil, so wicked, so ruthless, so unconscionable, so vile, so animalistic. Revelation 13 refers to him by the very unflattering term, the beast. And like most beasts, he travels in a pack. He heads a Satan-inspired gang of three. Chapter 13 spotlights the beast, then another beast... And then the image of the beast. I call them the Beastie Boys. And they're far more sinister than the blasphemous band that goes by that name. The goal of the Beastie Boys is to deceive and extort and eventually devour. The jungle that we live in is full of beasts. Be thank- thankful that Jesus is the king of the jungle. And as we'll see in the coming chapters... At a time and a place of his own choosing, he will permanently put these beastie boys out of business. Now, though, this beast comes, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his authority, his power, His throne, and great authority. Now Here's the beast of all beasts. He has a leopard's shape and spots, a bear's claws, a lion's roar. His power and authority comes from the dragon, who we've already identified in Revelation 12 verse 9 as Satan himself. This beast John sees from the seashore is a man. But he parallels the nations that he'll rule, described in Daniel chapter 7. Prophet Daniel was given a vision of 2,500 years of Gentile world domination. In that 2,500 years, he sees four beasts rising out of the sea. The first of the three empires were easily identified. The lion was Babylon. The bear was Persia. The leopard was Greece. But the fourth animal, the fourth beast that Daniel saw, he called a beast dreadful and terrible. And it's during the days of this last beast that God sends his Messiah to establish his kingdom on the earth. In a sense, this terrible beast was Rome. Ancient Rome was known for its ruthlessness and its cruelty. But the Roman Empire crumbled in the 6th century AD. And still God's kingdom has yet to come. That's why Daniel 7 implies a future revival of the old Roman Empire. This beast... Dreadful and terrible will be a last day's resurgence of what was ancient Rome. This is why Bible students for years have been looking for the emergence of a Roman or a European superstate. And today, for the first time in 1400 years, we have such an entity on the earth. You can rent a car in Madrid and then drive to Rome, then up to Paris, over to Berlin, Berlin then to Prague and down to Budapest. And you'll never have to stop at a national border. You can pay for your meals and lodging with a single currency. You can shell out some euros. Welcome to the European Union. Both John and Daniel saw this revived Rome of the last days. They saw that it had ten horns or ten governmental structures. It'll be configured in ten nations or ten divisions. And among the horns, Daniel saw a specific detail in Daniel 7 verse 8 he writes I was considering the horns and there was another horn a little one coming up among them and there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words Daniel saw a little horn rise up out of the ten this is the late the leader that John labels the beast he's the epitome of all the other human attempts at self rule, he has the characteristics of the empires that came before him. The one trait that Daniel here chooses to mention is this the little horn has a big mouth. He blares loud and proud, he utters blasphemies against the one true God. You know, today, European countries are looking for a dynamic leader who will address the political and the financial problems that beset modern-day Europe. Fifty years ago, Paul-Andre Spock, an early organizer of the European community, he was once quoted as saying, We don't want another committee. We want a man of stature to hold the allegiance of the people and lift us up out of the economic mess we've gotten ourselves into. And then listen to his words. Send us a man, whether he be God or a devil... Send him. Tragically, that is today's attitude as well. Europe is desperate. They're desperate for solutions to their financial quagmire. And one day, a leader will come. In the 1930s, when Benito Mussolini took over in Italy, he was asked how he was able to rise to power so quickly. Mussolini replied, I found Europe full of empty rooms and simply walked in and took one of them this beast will exploit a leadership vacuum. He'll come to a Europe in disarray, and he'll provide answers. Ironically, Jesus has been faithfully knocking at the door of every human heart for the last 2,000 years. Jesus has timeless, eternal answers, not temporary patches. And yet most folks keep him locked out. They keep him barred. They keep Jesus on the outside. And yet when this beast knocks, they'll fling open the door. And verse 3 reveals why this beast is so pervasive. persuasive. He says, And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. I mean, what if John Kennedy had walked out of Parkland Hospital in Dallas, Texas? What if he had survived that bullet to the brain? Man, such a recovery would have been held a miracle. A charismatic Kennedy was already a popular president. He now would have been seen as divinely sanctioned by God. Most Americans would have fallen him anywhere. This is what's going to bump up the approval ratings of the beast. He'll recover from a potentially lethal wound. Perhaps he'll survive an assassin's bullet. Nobody will expect him to be the real assassin. Notice verse 3, doesn't say the beast actually rises from the dead. Nowhere in the Bible is Satan given the power over death. It's as if he had been mortally wounded. But what seems like a miracle still does the trick. His recovery will rocket him to superstar status. In Zechariah 11 verse 17, the prophet gives the Antichrist another appropriate name. There Zechariah calls him the worthless shepherd. And he speaks of his physical injuries. His arm shall be completely withered, and his right eye shall be totally blinded. Apparently, he loses an arm and an eye. It's ironic. Jesus has lost much more for our sake. He sacrificed his very life. His death and resurrection was no trick, and yet the world ignores the Savior's scars while it runs after a beast. Verse 4 tells us And so they worship the dragon who gave authority. To the beast. And this has been Satan's ambition from the beginning. Satan has always coveted the worship that belongs to God's own Son. From his days as heaven's choir boy, Satan has wanted men to worship him. Now the beast gives him what he wants. As Jesus draws men to the Father, the beast captures the souls of men and enslaves them to Satan. Understand what we mean. When we talk about the term antichrist. The prefix anti can mean against. And certainly this beast or antichrist. He'll be the enemy of Jesus. He'll be against Jesus. But this prefix can also mean instead of. As in the sense of a replacement. And you see this too is Satan's intention. He wants to assume Jesus' place in God's creation. And in your life. This is the more subtle form of evil. You see, it's easy to recognize evil in a violent act, like shooting up a school. But what about the evil that just sort of pushes Jesus aside? That treats Him as if He's not needed? An evil that simply replaces Jesus. Oh, it doesn't want to harm anyone. In fact, evil can be out to do good, just in its own name and for its own sake. Yes, there's an evil that assaults Jesus and His kingdom. Then there's an evil that just sets up its own kingdom and replaces Jesus. Well, in Revelation 13, John focuses on the end times Antichrist. But you know, in John's letters, he had a broader concern. 1 John 2 verse 18 tells us, John says, As you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. In 1 John 4, verse 3, he spoke of the spirit of Antichrist. John speaks of an Antichrist, this person who's going to come in the future, this world leader. But he also spoke of many Antichrists who are already here, like the shooter this past week in Connecticut. And then he also talks about something far more pervasive, the spirit of Antichrist. This is what should concern us the most. As we draw closer to the return of Jesus, it's the spirit of Antichrist that will grow more and more prevalent. Satan attacking God's order and God's creation like this past week is one thing. But also the devil trying to take the place of God's Son and Savior in more subtle ways is the greater danger. Just look at what happens every Christmas. It even has a name. You'll hear the phrase, the war on Christmas. Christmas parades. Christmas parades now get called holiday parades. Merry Christmas is now season's greetings. Nativity scenes are barred from public property. Schools that used to celebrate Christmas vacation now call it winter break. Someone's trying to take the place of Jesus. Today it's commonly suggested that Christmas is no longer just for Christians. Atheists and secularists and other religions are also entitled to enjoy the holiday spirit. And imagine, I thought the whole point of Christmas was to worship the Christ and bring enjoyment to Him. Again, it's not just an attack against Christ, it's more sinister. Satan's desire is to replace Christ with Himself. And this anti Christ sentiment at Christmas is just the tip of the iceberg. Animosity toward Jesus and Christianity now permeates government and news media and education and entertainment and even corporate America. From negative portrayals by Hollywood, to fairness in news coverage, to bias in the workplace, we are living in an anti-Christ world. There is a hostility today toward Christianity. For some folks, their animosity revolves around Christianity's claim of exclusivity, that Jesus is the only way to God. You know, that's now offensive in Western culture. But I think there's more to it than that. You know, there are other religions that also claim to be the only right way. But when Muslims say it, they're defended. When Christians make their case, they're labeled bigots. Realize the world today isn't anti-religion. Religion is welcomed. The law of the jungle today isn't anti-religion. It's anti-Christ. There is an evil in the world today that specifically targets the cause of Christ and Christianity. Revelation 13 reveals that Satan wants all the world to worship the dragon, not the baby in the manger. John finishes verse 4, And they worship the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Again, this is the time frame we saw in the previous two chapters, this 42 months or 1,260 days or three and a half years, depending on how you slice it. Same time frame. Remember, Revelation 6 through 19, the big chunk of the book, records what happens on planet Earth during the last seven-year period spoken of in Daniel chapter 9. It's called in the Bible the Great Tribulation. According to Daniel 9, The last seven years begins when this Antichrist enters into a treaty with Israel. In Revelation 6, we saw him riding on a white horse. He comes with a bow with no arrows. He authors a false peace. In the midst of this period, chapter 12 and 13 are parentheses. They zero in on the midpoint of that seven-year period or the 42-month mark. Up until now, the Antichrist has preached tolerance. He solved mankind's problems. World religions are now cooperating. Jews and Muslims are living in harmony. Can you imagine? Perhaps they're even coexisting on the Temple Mount. When the narrow-minded Christians are taken in the rapture, he's able to sell his coexist theology. He'll probably explain that the rapture was an evolutionary leap that eliminated all those bigoted Christians. They were stunning human potential by insisting that their way was the right way, the only right way. Everybody will sport the bumper sticker, coexist. The world seems poised for a new age. But then at halftime, at this 42-month mark, the halftime of these final seven years, the beast will show his fangs. He's not the peaceful ruler he claimed to be. The personification of evil will murder God's two witnesses. We saw it in chapter 11. He'll set up an image of himself in the temple, and he'll require the world to worship him. In Matthew 24, Jesus called it the abomination of desolation. According to Revelation 12, it's after the blasphemy that this war, a war, erupts in heaven. Michael boots out the devil, and to retaliate, Satan attacks against God's people, the Jews. There's a quote by Revolutionary War leader William Penn, those who will not be governed by God will be ruled by tyrants. And never in history will this be more applicable than in these 42 months prior to Jesus' return. Under the beast, the world will be ruled by pure evil. Verse 6 reveals more. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme His name, His tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. Suddenly, at this 42-month mark, this future Fuhrer will oppose everything that's God. He'll trash God's name and God's temple and even His saints. He'll look up to heaven and ridicule you and me. We're told and it was granted to Him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Those who are saved in this great tribulation will have a very, very difficult time. They'll be overcome with tyranny. This verse is a great proof text for a pre-tribulational rapture. Christians won't be on earth at this time. These saints can't be the church, and I'll tell you why. You remember Jesus' words in Matthew 16, verse 18. He said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That word prevail in Matthew 16 and this word overcome in Revelation 13, they're the same word. Same Greek word. Here the Antichrist prevails against the saints. Yet Jesus said the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. This can't be his church. Evidently these saints in verse 6 are those who have been saved during the tribulation. During this time the bride of Christ, the church, will be in heaven enjoying the presence of Jesus. The people that are left on the earth though will suffer severely for their allegiance to Jesus. We're told an authority was also given the beast over every tribe, tongue, and nation. Notice the beast will rule globally. What Nebuchadnezzar and Alexander the Great and the Caesars of Rome and Genghis Khan and Napoleon and Hitler and Stalin failed to achieve a world dictatorship, this future leader will accomplish. Recall the story of Nimrod in the Tower of Babel. Nimrod was the first attempt by man at globalization. Nimrod brought culture and commerce and language and government and even religion under one big tent. And Nimrod was considered a success. In his day, he was hailed a peacemaker, a unifier of mankind. And yet Nimrod had ulterior motives. The Bible implies that he was a hunter for men's souls. Nimrod was the first Antichrist. He tried to snatch from God the trust of men. Nimrod defied God's decree to scatter and multiply. Instead, he tried to bring the world together. But the world is still under that command to scatter and multiply. This is why whenever we go and we fail to acknowledge national boundaries, anytime we try to bring the nations together, we need to question the motive. Nothing is wrong with cooperation among nations. The United Nations is not inherently evil. But when efforts are made to abolish national considerations and consolidate governments, that's when we need to beware. That's when we need to question motive. For inevitably, Antichrist will somehow seize authority over every tribe, tongue, and nation. We're told in verse 8, All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life and of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. Did you know there's a book? There's a book of life and of the Lamb. And everyone who's put their faith in Jesus, their name is written in that book. You want your name in that book. If you've never given your life to Jesus, I hope you'll do it today. He says, and and then he who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. And he who kills with a sword must be killed with a sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Here's what John is saying. A man's choices will be more binding during this time. They'll be less forgiving during this period of history. There'll be less room for do-overs and second chances in this great tribulation. God's judgment will be swift. Only those who belong to Jesus, whose names are written in that book, only those will escape the tyranny of the Antichrist. In Matthew 24, verse 13, Jesus spoke to His disciples about the great tribulation. He said to them, He who endures to the end shall be saved. Not only will people have to choose Jesus, but they'll have to live out that choice through difficulty, and through trials, and through stressful hardships, and through persecution. It will indeed require great patience and faith. Now remember, chapter 13 isn't just about the beast, but the beastie boys. There's more than one here. That's why we read in verse 11. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. The second beast is the Antichrist ecclesiastical sidekick. He's the religious leader who appears gentle as a lamb, but he speaks the threats and the lies of Satan himself. You remember Jesus had a forerunner. It was John the Baptist who paved the way for the Messiah. And this second beast will be the forerunner of the Antichrist. He'll provide religious sanction for his regime. Imagine him standing in the world's cathedrals and in its mosques and in its temples encouraging all people to lay aside their differences and rally together under one flag, under one banner. This is what the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops has recently suggested, and I quote, We are now entering an era of global interdependence, requiring global governing. Growing tension cannot be remedied by a single nation-state approach. It's alarming to see churches, to see religious leaders suggesting that we should drop national distinctions and all come together as one. This will be the argument of the second beast. Verse 12 tells us more. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. This man will become the high priest of heresy. The revelation also calls him the false prophet. And he'll perform great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth In the sight of men. The priest of the beast will even work miracles. You understand Satan can work miracles. Satan is the great deceiver. And he doesn't just do miracles. He tries to replicate biblical miracles. Malachi chapter 3 verse 5 predicts that Elijah will appear before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. This is why the second beast will call fire down from heaven. He'll want to pretend to be Elijah. Elijah. He's not an Elvis impersonator. He's an Elijah impersonator. Malachi prophesied that Elijah would come before the Messiah. This false prophet will claim to be Elijah and he'll use that to steer the world toward Antichrist. Verse 14, And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And here is where the plot thickens. For the priest of the beast inaugurates this new, unprecedented form of idolatry. When we think of an idol, we think of a little statue that sits up on the mantel. But here he makes an image or an idol, the image of the beast, That becomes animated. It has lifelike qualities. We're told it has breath. And it speaks. And it discerns worship. And it's also lethal. It enforces a mandatory allegiance. It executes the people who refuse to bow to the beast. What is this third beastie boy? This image? Realize, for the last 2,000 years, Not only have readers of this wondered how this would be fulfilled, they've lacked the frame of reference to even conceptualize what this means. Think about it. How could Ben Franklin conceive of a virtual idol? And yet today, modern technology has given us all kinds of ways to imagine virtual idolatry. Could this be interaction with a touch-sensitive screen? Could this be a computer-generated hologram or a sophisticated form of virtual imaging or a robot with artificial intelligence or even a human clone? Imagine millions of folks online at the same time interacting with this image of the beast. Idolatry goes live stream. Speaking of cloning, did you hear about the guy who cloned himself? Problem though is he let his clone watch too much television. Got a vulgar mouth. One day, he heard his clone cussing, and the guy got so mad, he shoved him out the window. The clone fell ten stories, splat, right in the street. Well, the police couldn't arrest him, couldn't charge him with murder. He murdered himself. I mean, the guy killed himself. What what kind of crime is that? He was, though, arrested. And he finally, after a lot of of, uh, police work, they finally charged him. They charged him with making an obscene clone fall. That's what they did. That's what they did. There. Just thought I'd throw that one right in there. John continues speaking of the image of the beast in verse 16. He says, He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. And that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Again, a hundred years ago, this would make little sense. But not today. In 2012, this kind of technology is all around us. In a cash-oriented society, you can never control commerce with a mark on your body. But today, cash is a relic of the past. My kids don't even carry cash. I'm the only guy that's got cash. when We can go to the restaurant. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> In the future, buying and selling will all be done digitally. This has already started. Already today, we make online purchases with PayPal. And we use bill pay. And we transfer funds across the internet. And we swipe our card into the handheld scanner. Some of us even tied the Calvary Chapel online. Nursing homes now place microchips and bracelets worn by their patients to track their whereabouts. The same technology helps you locate your car or your cell phone if it gets stolen. Last year I ran the Reagan 5K race with a microchip on my shoe that recorded my time. It, it activated when I crossed the finish line and when I stopped. didn't make me any faster did show me how slow I was. Kathy and I were talking about it this week, about how technology will change and has changed parenting. I mean, if we had teenage drivers today, they would never leave home without some kind of tracking device on their person or maybe secretly planted in their car. The next step will be to inject a silicone chip under a baby's skin or stamp something on his forehead. And if you've ever momentarily lost track of a kid in a crowded mall, you'll realize this is a good idea. I mean, this makes sense. The technology itself isn't bad. What's bad is that this is what the Antichrist will use to blackmail the world into worshiping Him. To get the mark, you'll have to bow and pledge your allegiance to a beast. You know, it's ironic. Today, Jesus freely offers us all spiritual blessings. Jesus promises us all great things if we just trust in Him. And yet, for some reason, folks resist. And even worse, in the end, they'll opt for a false Christ who demands that they choose between faith and food, worship the Antichrist, or be eliminated. It's a real Hunger Games. Imagine the excruciating choices people will be forced to make. Stand for Jesus and watch my baby starve? Or sell my soul to Satan so that I can buy some soup? I don't want to be around when that kind of choosing starts. Well, finally, verse 18 gets us back to where we started. John says, Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Now, I spoke of some fanciful theories earlier, but let me get serious a moment. Throughout the Bible, the number six is the number of man. Six is one less than seven, which is the number of God's perfection. And man, at his very best, still falls short of God. Still falls short of God's ideal. Yet next to Jesus, there was one man in the Bible who may have come closest, and that was King Solomon. In Luke 12, verse 17, Jesus said of the lilies, Even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. In Luke 11, verse 31, Jesus praised the wisdom of Solomon. In the Old Testament, King Solomon had the distinction of being the wisest of the wise. He was world-renowned for his insight. People flocked him from all over the world to ask him questions. King Solomon was the epitome of human achievement. Now remember, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. And there's one other place in Scripture where the number 666 appears. Do you know where it is? 2 Chronicles 9 verse 13 lists Solomon's yearly allotment of gold as 666 talents. There's one other connection between Solomon and this number. In 1 Kings 10, when you looked at Solomon's throne, you saw six lions on one side six steps down the middle, and six lions on the other side. You literally saw six, six, six. Here's an idea for you. When you think of the Antichrist, don't think of Darth Vader, or Osama bin Laden, or Hitler. Think of King Solomon. There's lots of parallels. David was a man of war, but that cost him. Because of it, he couldn't build the temple. Solomon was a man of peace, and thus a temple builder. That's how the beast will start out, with a false peace in a rebuilt temple. Both will be admired for their wisdom. Both will start out as God-fearing people, but will eventually lead folks away into idolatry. Both will amass great fortunes. The parallels between Solomon and the Antichrist are numerous. Suffice it to say, the beast doesn't show his fangs until he has the world in its clutches. Evil is not always so easily identified. You see, the Antichrist is further proof that man apart from God, even the wisest of the wise, even the best of the best, even man at his very best, at his peak, is still corrupt to the core and brazenly rebellious. In the end, the great human hope will turn beastly. In other words, the evil that exists in this world today, guys, it isn't going away. Chapter 13 closes with the Antichrist on top of the world. But don't worry. Jesus is coming back. And by the end of chapter 19, the king of the jungle will see to it that the beastie boys are where they belong, frying in a lake of fire. Jesus will put an end to the evil. And this is why we shouldn't lose heart when evil raises its ugly head like it did this past week. For Jesus is the king of beasts. It's an Antichrist world. But one day soon, in his time and in his way, Jesus will tame the jungle. Jesus will return. He'll put an end to the evil. Father, we thank you for this promise. For the peace it brings our hearts. In the meantime, Lord, we want to trust you. We want to walk with you. And we want to come out of an Antichrist world. And we want to be totally devoted to you. Lord, we're thankful that you've promised us an escape, a rescue from this terrible time that's facing our planet. Lord, we know what where this world is headed. We, we know what's going to happen. Lord, I pray that we would give some attention this morning to where we're headed. Where our hearts are at. Have we bought into the world around us? Or are we just going with the flow? Or have we come out and pledged ourselves to Jesus? Are we living for Him? Lord, I pray for those that are here today. If there's someone here, Lord, who's never given their life to you, I pray that they would today. While our heads are bowing, while our eyes are closed, perhaps there is someone here that would say, Pastor Sandy, I'd like for you to pray for me. I've never given my life to Jesus, but I'd like to today. Is there anybody that would say that this morning? Would you raise your hand? I'll pray for you. Anybody here that would say, yes, that's me. I'd like for you to pray for me today. Anybody? Father, we thank you that, that we all belong to you. I pray this week you'll help us live like it. In this Christmas season, Lord, help us to be bold. Help us to proclaim the good grace of Jesus Christ in your love for us. Lord, thank you for the ways you've given us to reach out to others. Lord, help us to take advantage of those ways this week. We love you and praise you. And ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.